It's really great. I don't, you know, I'm starting to. Oh Jesus! The screenscaper <laughs> just came on. Hope that didn't fuck anything up. Anyway, you can cut this out. So, um. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 419 with our review of Swiss Army Man. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you this week. We're talking about Swiss Army Man, a little film you might know as the Farting Corpse movie. Yep, or the fifth or sixth alienating movie that Daniel Radcliffe has done <laughs> since being <laughs> Harry Potter. Well, he's got to do something to break away from that Harry Potter uh, legacy, right? Yeah, yeah, the the gay Igor and Frankenstein thing and being the guy with horns and Equus. Not good enough. Not good enough. you got to go full corpse if you want to really <laughs> break free. <laughs> and, I mean, we'll get into it, but he uh, he definitely went full corpse in this film. <laughs> Wingardium <laughs> Flatulosa. <laughs> uh, we, we promise that we will try to keep the farting humor to a, a minimum on this. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I don't know if we fully promise, but I, it, it is a film that um, when I first heard about it, basically every, nobody wanted to talk about it in any context other than to say this is the Farting Corpse movie. And people either like hated it and walked out or they loved it. And uh, I finally saw the trailer for it. I was like, holy shit, there is no way this movie can live up to my expectations for this. Um, <laughs> did, did you feel the same way, Stephen? It, it, it's hard to say because before I saw anything for this movie, the reviews from Sundance started to come in. And I knew this was the Farting Corpse movie. I knew that half people loved it and half the people hated it. Yeah. I knew that Sundance had walkouts, which feels pretty extreme because knowing Sundance, they probably had to stand in line for like two hours just to be able to see this movie. Um, so like when the trailer hit, I already kind of knew the the general vibe it was going to strike. Gotcha. I knew that I knew that there was some real sentiment <laughs> and some kind of juvenile humor. And so, I don't know, the, the trailer didn't add to that for me. I still believed, like, this could either be really good or it could be really, really bad. Yeah. Well, you know me, like, any film that sort of even tries to, uh, per- even if it tries to pretend that it has that, like, kind of indie sentimental vibe and then has a really great song in it, it just, like, instantly wins me over. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to love this movie. Um, yeah. But then things like, we get we get things like Walter Mitty, which wasn't even bad it just disappointed me because it wasn't as amazing as i expected from it um mm-hmm. so that that's kind of like i got a walter mitty vibe from the trailer for this film and i was just worried that i was gonna have a walter mitty reaction to it right um, which... and, and i got more of a making fun of walter mitty vibe from the trailer <laughs> so i didn't know i didn't know what to do with it got you well I know what we can do with it. <laughs> we can get into the review. How does it sound? Okay, buddy. <laughs> um, all right, we are going to take a listen to the trailer for uh, Swiss Army Man, and then we're going to come back and give you a review. Special. 
seven billion people on the planet, you might be lucky enough to bump into the one person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Oh my God. So this is the life I've forgotten. This is just the beginning. Right, so that was the trailer for Swiss Army Man. It is the uh, story of a man who is lost on a little island, and he is ready to end it all because there's no hope of survival. And uh, just as he's about to hang himself, he notices a car- corpse uh, just over there on the shore, and he goes over to see it, and that corpse farts. And uh, through this magical flatulence, um, the uh, person who was once going to kill himself may find hope in uh, making things work. <laughs> I, Pretty good. That, that, Pretty is, good. That, is that a tame enough of an explanation of this film? I think so. And oh, oh my God, what was that? The the corpse of Carson Patrick. He's <laughs> he's moving. I, I think he wants to say something. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as, as Stephen was saying, um, Carson Patrick is not with us in the live human form, but uh, his flatulating corpse does have something to say to us, so uh, we're going to take a listen to him right now. What's up, dudes? Uh, Here to talk about Swiss Army, man. You know what sucks? Podcasting, because it's taken me maybe three or four times to get this right, even though I can just start over whenever I want. Um, Anyway, you know what doesn't suck is Swiss Army, man. It's pretty awesome, and uh, it's kind of funny because last week off air, Chris was like, oh, well, I'm not interested in uh, Daniel Radcliffe as a farting corpse. That doesn't seem to be my bag. But uh, it seems to have been totally your bag because not only did you change your Facebook cover photo, but uh, <laughs> I think upon seeing the movie, I definitely thought it was right up his alley because... And and this is uh, queuing into some of the movies it reminded me of, but uh, definitely a uh, definitely romantic elements with uh, a genre piece, which, as we know, have been uh, Chris's uh, most of Chris's favorites of the last couple years, particularly Safety Not Guaranteed and the one I love, which uh, I feel like would be be good uh, companion pieces to this movie. Um, but it is a very unique film. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of things in it that you haven't seen in a movie before. And that is, uh, rare these days. Um, and, and, you know, that's a, that's a big, uh, accomplish, accomplishment from, uh, from Daniels, Daniel Shinar, Daniel Kwan, uh, who are the writers and directors of this movie. Um, and this is their first movie, uh, but they did do that amazing turn down for what video, which is just all kinds of awesome. Um, and, and that really, you know, once I found out that they were the guys behind that video, I was like, oh, well, this is going to be the shit for sure. Because um, that really lends, gives you an idea of their sensibilities for taking really outlandish uh ideas and everything and 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 t- turning it into something kind of magical. I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff in this that is pulled off in you know, obviously comical ways, but um you know, sometimes very dramatic ways. Um y- you know, everyone who was kind of making a big stink, no pun intended, about Daniel Radcliffe as a farting corpse, but um <laughs> You know, it's it it comes off it it's pulled off wonderfully well. Um, and you know, there's a, a bunch of other stuff in it that I won't say. I don't know if it's in the trailer because I never watched it. I I I stayed away from it, um, which I I thought was for the best. But you know, um, not that that means anything. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the performances in this movie are off the charts. Like Paul Dano once again killing it. 
uh, Daniel Radcliffe really just is aces in this movie. I mean, uh, he he deserves. I, I I feel like he legitimately deserves some awards attention. Like both of them do. I think. Um, you know, D- Daniel Radcliffe is in more of the showy role. Uh, Paul Dano is a little more in the in the subtle role. But uh, they both really excel in it. And you know, Radcliffe it really gives you a sense of how cool Daniel Radcliffe is because I'm sure when whoever pitched him the idea, you know, that, Hey, you want to play a farting corpse and, and you're going to have a boner for like half the movie, like, you know, (laughs) him to be like, Hey, I'll with that. Like that's, that's how you know Daniel Radcliffe is a cool dude. Um, because this is a part that I'm sure, Many actors would be like, I would not do because I don't know, but they just think it would be too embarrassing or something. But I mean, Radcliffe takes it head on. Uh, I mean, he he is he is perfectly cast. And uh, not only that, but he pretty much goes full butthole in this movie. Like we get a Radcliffe hole shot in this movie. Uh, so he joins the the ranks of Anne Heche in the Psycho remake as is <laughs> for buttholes on screen. Um, that's the only thing I can think. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's the, what I could think of off the top of my head. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's really great. I don't, you know, I'm starting to, Oh Jesus. The screenscaper <laughs> just came on. Hope that didn't fuck anything up. Anyway, you can cut this out. So, um, yeah, like I said, not a whole lot else to say um, other than great score, great visuals, uh, there's a real bear in it, and uh, Stephen will probably mislabel it as a cocaine movie. So, oh, I did like, uh, oh, and there's a Shane Carruth cameo, and uh, that was fun, and um, I did like, serious now. Uh, I did like that, uh, oh shit, this is going on for almost six minutes. I'm going to get cut for time. Um, I did like that, um, that how, you know, it has this very whimsical nature to it. Um, very Amblin-esque tone, which, uh, is great. Um, you know, like I've always said, we need more of that in, in, in today's movies. Um, and it, you know, it very, very Michelle Gondry-esque whimsy going on. And it, a lot of it feels, it kind of rides that fine line between um, uh, parody and, you know, sincere. Because uh, there, there is a lot of, of moments where I thought, you know, maybe they are, you know, mocking these type of movies. Um, but then I feel like, you know, it comes around and it is very sincere in their own kind of demented way. Um, so it's kind of like their spin on a Michelle Gondry movie. So it ends up being kind of, you know, the, the essential great parody, which is to, uh, mock it and then be an entry into it. Um, so I, I thought they pulled that off really well. And, um, I did like how, you know, it's, again, it's taking place in heightened reality. It's not, anywhere near close to the the real world uh but yet at the end you know they they stick to their vision and and it has some very dark undercurrents at the end you know it it ends up being uh a lot darker than i thought which uh i i applaud them for that um you know it's it's still pretty screwball and wacky but there's you know it definitely takes a dark turn and and i appreciated that i i didn't i didn't expect it to end up where it did, which, uh, is always good. You know, where you're, when you're wondering, you know, where's this going to go? Um, as opposed to hurry up and end already, which is, uh, what everyone's saying about this audio review for me. So <laughs> yes, a must see for sure. Um, yeah, that's all I got. See you later. <laughs> All right, so for uh, th- those of you listening at home, we did something a little different than normal. Usually, if Carson gives us a drop-in file, Stephen and I have completely recorded the episode 
and I'm in the edit process. And long after the fact, I get a chunk from Carson and I'm dropping it into the episode. So at the time of recording, recording, we have no context for Carson's opinion of the film. Uh, this time, Steve and I actually listened to this in real time as you guys were hearing it. And uh, Carson... Let's be real. They were probably hearing it at 1.5x. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, but yeah, so so we we... Carson made some some bold predictions about uh of my at least my specific um feelings towards the film uh made a nice prediction about <laughs> Steven's possible way of classifying this film and <laughs> um yeah do you uh uh first of all inquiring minds want to know Steven would you call this a coke film <laughs> and also do you uh, share Carson's sentiments that uh, this is a very uh, enjoyable and fun and must-see film? Uh, as to the Coke film thing, I'm I'm not sure. It depends how I use it. Like, usually I use it as a prediction, a, a litmus test of whether Carson will like a thing or not. And Coke film in that context means, like, is it high energy? Is it doing something different? Is it unafraid to be kind of balls out, wacky? And in that context, then yes, definitely this is a Coke movie. Um, <laughs> if if Coke movie is meant to be a dig at something, like I occasionally do when a movie, the only merit it has is that it's like crazy and ridiculous, then no, I don't think it's a Coke movie. Um, and did I like it? Uh, yes. Yes, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, and I, I think I texted you after I watched this a couple of nights ago in New York and... Um, I think what I told you was I can't decide if I love it or want to punch it in the face or both. <laughs> and I still haven't decided. But what I know is it left a huge impression on me. And I really enjoy what they did and have been thinking about it ever since. I I don't yet know the degree to which I... I, I don't even know how to say it. I mean, this is such a... Uh, this is a movie, I'm sure it has been compared to Where the Wild Things Are before, and I will be the millionth to say it. Uh, this movie is Where the Wild Things Are for creepy, repressed 20-something malehood <laughs> instead of childhood. <laughs> it, it, it's Where the Wild Things Are for everyone Daniel or Paul Dano has ever played in movies before. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, and you can just feel that everywhere. Like, this is not a movie about realism this is not a film about mature themes or well-constructed philosophies right this is a movie about how does it feel to live to be you know a boy <laughs> to be growing up to have the kind of anxieties uh, that society puts on you and it verbalizes that in the most kind of innate boy ways possible so there are farts there are boners there's conversations about everybody pooping there like this is a movie that very very purposely steers into this kind of like juvenile psychology of the this is what life is this is what the world is about and i think it the fact that it can steer that far in a kind of alienating direction. Like, the the first 10 minutes of this movie, in my mind, do not have very much pathos. They are literally like, here's a farting corpse. He's going to fart a lot. Like, not a couple times and then fade out for the rest of the movie. Like, he's he's going to fart a lot continuously throughout the movie. <laughs> um, you're going to have a protagonist who is not particularly empathetic, at least at the beginning who continues to be very weird. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of screaming and yelling. There's going to be a lot of bodily humor. And now, out of this very strange construct, can we make you feel the feels, <laughs> like the things that Chris and I both go apeshit over? Um, and I think it, de it definitely pulled that off. Uh, I think Safety Not Guaranteed and The One I Love are both really good touchstones for that. I think uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl is another one I would compare it against slightly. Um, that movie also had the idea of people kind of using stories to build a little world for themselves to try to cope with things. 
and those stories that are usually shown in little montages. Uh, in me and Earl, it, it is uh, film parodies. In this, then it's literally building stories out of garbage. Um, <laughs> it's half presented as like a hip, whimsical, like Edgar Wrighty type thing where it's frenetic montages. It's, uh, you know, like there's a clear quirk vibe to what it's doing. Yeah. And then it's half used to show really genuine emotion, like make you make you feel things. I, I think Carson nailed it where it's the perfect kind of parody where you mock something and then become a perfect entry into the genre. And in this case, the genre was heartfelt sentiment, basically. Um, and I don't know, it, it's such an interesting different movie it's very frenetic very uh self-aware like the soundtrack I, I think every song has paul dano and uh daniel radcliffe singing in it, it yeah. it's meant to sound almost entirely acapella uh it it's committed to being weird it's very self-referential like i actually think the fact that mary elizabeth winstead who is like a geek goddess of sorts for her roles in other movies um the fact that she is the person here who's the object of love for these two kind of repressed guys who have watched her but not met her i don't know if that's a spoiler i, I knew that the moment the movie started but maybe <laughs> some people didn't know that um you can decide if you want to believe that or not uh, but but the fact that she is the stand-in for that to me it just felt all sorts of real like all sorts of very aware of what it's doing yeah and are, are these are these protagonists we're supposed to root for i don't know but they're people we as an audience identify with and we're kind of confused and voyeuristic and feeling feelings and getting boners just like they are um, <laughs> yeah so i i don't know i i really enjoy what the movie did and i think as time has gone on i've I've embraced the fact that I just really like this movie, but I can't, I don't, it almost doesn't feel fair that it got to hit me this hard. Like, for instance, I really want to know what a, a girl would think about watching this movie, because I feel like this is such a deeply personal male feeling thing that it taps into. <laughs> um, it, it's almost like a really, really good episode of South Park or something where, like, a person could rightly be turned off by all the gross-out humor and all the other elements of it, but when it hits you with something, then it really works for you, and you feel like, this is genius. Like, I don't care if half of it was people bouncing on testicles like, like, like they're bouncy balls. Like the, <laughs> the, the part that works is cutting-edge and brilliant. Uh, and yeah. it, this kind of feels like that to me, where it has a lot of things that, if I were showing it to someone else, I would be like, why did they have to do that? Did they really need to make the fart go on that long? Did they have to do this? But but the package works, and the highs of this movie are so high that I I don't know. I, I don't even know what to say. It Whatever they wanted to do, they did a really damn good job of it. Chris, how did you feel? <laughs> uh, well, I felt... Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um... So uh, the qu real question that everybody definitely wants to know is whether Carson's prediction is true, whether this is a film that was right up my alley. Um, and uh, to that, I will say that this was <laughs> immensely up my alley. Uh, this is a film that during it, I had three, three uh, basic thoughts while watching this film. The first thought was, this might be the most brilliant film ever made. <laughs> the second thought was... Uh, why am I crying? Yeah, well, it, without wording it, why am I crying? It was, I might be the only person watching this film that's responding the way that I'm responding. And the third thought was, I have no idea how I'm going to review this movie. Because um, I feel like everything I say must be like caveated in a way. And, and, and I'm glad that both of you responded in a positive way and that I'm not an insane person that is, you know, off in the woods somewhere with a corpse. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a film that I was worried would not live up to the way the trailer made me feel. And then I watched the, the, the film and... Um, like about a third of the way into the film, 
I started tearing up and I did not stop until the credits were rolling. And it is a film that really took me by just an incredible amount of surprise. It it hit me emotionally in a way that I wasn't prepared for. And I feel like I'm I'm totally willing to concede that it may just be my like current emotional state in life that may have uh, perfectly primed me to experience this film in this way. Um, but yeah, like I, I think, um, you know, those comparisons that Carson was making were pretty good. I, I believe I even, uh, you know, Stephen and I sort of broke our rule a little bit and did talk about this a little bit before we sat down to record um, the other night. And uh, I think at the time I also brought up the one I love. Um, another thing that I kind of compared this to is like, this is like sort of the existential version of the film Boyhood, where like Boyhood was a film that was basically just little vignettes that as a whole it told, told a narrative that felt truly authentic. And this film, while, while, you know, like Stephen, it sounds like you kind of, uh, you're sort of toned down on how existential this film gets because it does kind of communicate things in the, in the, in bare bone sense and not... I, I think it, it's existential on an emotional level i don't know that it says something new it just says it in a very like raw form that i'm not used to yeah yeah, yeah. if, if so, that makes sense yeah, yeah so so we're, we're we're on board on the same page that way um um but yeah like it, it's just a film where it's like first of all it, it's it, it it should not work <laughs> like Taking these things that to me feel like the most true raw extensions of what it means to be human, but telling them in the most juvenile and simplistic form, like there's something about a like completely just backing away from the the fantasy of the film and, and what is visually happening on screen. Like if you had to explain to I me, mean, like, you know, there's there's the thing where it's like you know, tell me like I'm five or whatever. Like, how would you explain this to a child? Th- this thought that like you maybe don't have words to use because you're not, you, it's a thing that you feel, but you've never had to express in words. And if you could tell it to a child or literally a dead thing, <laughs> like how would you explain it in the most simplest form that anybody could comprehend a very simple subject that is so simple that we never try to put it to words. And something about like intercutting the the juvenile nature, intercutting the farting, which would normally turn me off in a film, just made it feel that much more true and real and emotionally like gut punchy in a way that um was just, just just amazing. Like I mean, I would love a film that wasn't even saying that much. Uh, or wasn't even saying what this was just for the fantasy elements and the interestingness of what it's trying to do visually. But somehow, maybe it was that I wasn't expecting to have this film really be about what it means to be alive. Or maybe, I, I, I don't, whatever it was, this film just seemed incredibly powerful to me. Um, another thought that actually was creeping into my head as I was watching the film is that, you know... You know, Leonardo DiCaprio has an Oscar for freezing to death, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. you basically got an award for not having to act. Like he was put, the the film that he was in, The Revenant, put him in a situation where he was no longer acting. He was just barely surviving. And, uh, you know, it, that's cool. Like, the performance was good, but that wasn't like not even, a, like he wasn't trying to do that. He just was literally freezing to death. Um, Daniel Radcliffe is utterly amazing in this film he uh i mean just give him the give him the oscar <laughs> that's, that's what i think i'm uh you know like I'm, I'm kind of joking but i'm also kind of not like his performance is pretty amazing everything from the physical performance to the emotional performance to so just do you know the... how how much of the movie was it actually just him staying still versus like a dummy that they had floating out <laughs> somewhere well, I mean, w- without without getting too much into the narrative of what's happening in the film, right? I think that there's like there was a point in the film where I was asking myself that, and then as soon as I asked myself that that question, it became painfully aware that from then on it had to be the performance, right? Yeah. Um. So, and I, and I feel like maybe for like 
you know, far off shots, you know, like wide establishing shots or things, scenes where Daniel Radcliffe is just draped over Paul Dano's back. Like maybe for things like that, it was just a dummy. But for most of the film, the interactions between these two two characters, um, it it would have to be. Um, yeah, it, it would just plainly have to be the actor really performing these things. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe when this comes out for uh, on DVD, there'll be this whole behind the scenes about how like 90% of the performance was just a dummy. Um, mm-hmm. who, who, know, who knows exactly um, what we'll find out then. But yeah, it, it, to me, it was just an incredibly impressive performance. And, um, you know, they, they, like they were both great and I don't want to discount Paul Dano, but uh, I just think that like the physical performance that Daniel Radcliffe had to give was pretty amazing. I, I, I agree, though. I do. I think Paul Dano is getting very good at this type of role, like like any, anything from There Will Be Blood to Love and Mercy, which I really liked. Like he, he's really good at taking this kind of head in the clouds, clearly somewhat mentally ill person and making you sort of love them even though you still see them as being ridiculous yeah Um, like he and and what's interesting is he didn't try to make it be a very sentimental performance like i feel like he doesn't want you to full-on love him like he's willing to be super alienating and respond in ways that you and i wouldn't respond to and uh I think that's kind of the ballsy thing about the movie is they they dare you to empathize with him, basically. They say, like, we're we're going to make this character in this story, particularly with the ending, which we don't have to spoil, um, we're going to make it as unempathetic as possible, and we're going to make you relate and feel things anyway. And maybe, maybe that's a part of what it's trying to go for with, uh, you know, the everybody poops metaphor <laughs> is that, like... <laughs> we all can relate to the most crazy base instincts in each other. Well, so here's a question. Um, Because do you, like, obviously the film starts from Paul Dano's point of view, but do you think if you break down the narrative that this film is Paul Dano interacting with Daniel Radcliffe, or is this the story, is the story technically being told through Daniel Radcliffe's eyes? And his, like, his, like, I, I feel like the story is told through in Paul Dano's eyes or head, and maybe it was even filmed and edited in his head. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so the reason I ask is because you know, normally, I'm trying to figure out, like, the best way to state this. Like, I guess I was... Maybe it's because of the way that the 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 statements that I was latching onto were being delivered by Paul Dano. I was sort of, in a weird way, empathizing with Daniel Radcliffe. Like I was, if I well, was tra- transporting myself into one character, it was the character learning about life as opposed sure, to the character uh, explaining life. He's Jacob Tremblay in the room, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah. He has never seen any of this before, and no matter what happens, you are going to feel like on his team, basically. Yeah, but but like even like if we stick with, like, I think actually you bringing up the room is is a perfect way for me to sort of illustrate my point. Is because in the room, the story belongs to Brie Larson, right? Sure. And yeah. it's it's her story, and the child influences her reaction to the world. And in this film, it's like it, it. If the narrative was the same, I watched it caring about the child instead of about her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that the film's narrative is constructed that way, but I inserted myself into the character being taught, not the character teaching. I I can see that. I mean, it it would be very hard to insert yourself into the character teaching. Uh, for me, again, without going into spoilers, it it's hard for me to separate the two of them because I feel like they're both maybe <laughs> one fever dream of a brain. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Right. So I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that I think when Paul Dano's character is teaching Daniel Radcliffe about the world, the point of that is more for him to verbalize or work out yeah, 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 his exactly. feelings in a, uh, you know, in a, it, it's probably a common trick in therapy too, is to have someone explain a thing to someone else. Um, yeah, like and a that's where, or something. <laughs> yeah, and that's where all of his like hopes and fears and the things he loves and the the very skewed way he sees the world, which he presents as fact, right? He, yeah. He's teaching a kid about this is how the world works. This is how people are. And what he's actually saying is, this is how my life is. This is how I feel. This is how it looks to me. Um, but he's also, so, he's also teaching, like, this is how one should react. And he's mm-hmm. he's putting the inability to react in that way onto something else and mm-hmm. trying to teach it to overcome it. And, right. Yes. And But what, what makes it really feel where the wild things are to me is even the the situations he thinks need to be overcome and the thing he holds up on a pedestal as like the cool or correct way to do it feels a lot like the way a little kid imagines giant monsters would react with each other. Like, (laughs) like his idea of the ideal world is still like very skewed and repressed and stunted kind of, um, if that makes sense. And, and, I think that's what makes him empathetic is like for for all of the kind of craziness and depending on your read of the movie, the objective craziness of the the real world narrative that goes along with this film. <laughs> um, you see what he really believes to be the truth and what he believes to be the way the world works and how he would like to be. And I think we all can kind of relate to that. But uh, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe is definitely the more empathetic performance. Like he's the most endearing. He doesn't have room to be an asshole or anything. Like he's a he's a corpse, right? <laughs> <laughs> he, he literally can do no wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think what. So here's what I haven't wrestled with, and I I wish Carson would be able to chime in because I want to know how he feels or if he cares one way or another. Um, I think the moments there are moments in the movie that hit beats that really tug the schnazy chord, right? Like yeah. the montages, the teaching moments, um, and they, you know, they they tugged my heartstrings a little bit too, particularly a long sequence where they are on a bus and they're kind of reimagining the way things can play out, and it there are so many weird layers of irony here i don't know what to go for because you can you can look at it just do a straight read of what's going on there and it's goofy and weird right the things that they're doing yeah and then a level up from that with the music cues and with the the heart of what is going on it is genuinely moving like i think it's shown in the trailer when uh daniel radcliffe is watching the world go by from the bus yeah and the the way that's being done it like it it actually moved me a lot like it really had heart to it then there's the level above that where it, it knows it has heart and that's almost the joke is that it can make you feel these things even when the soundtrack is like Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe doing Karenos where the wild things are soundtrack <laughs> um <laughs> and I, I it has this weird thing where i feel like that it's a little too aware of what it's doing. Like it, it, it can't only make you feel a thing. It has to throw a pie in your face also and kind of be like, look, even with the pie in your face, you're still going to feel a thing. Aren't we all ridiculous creatures? <laughs> right? Aren't, aren't we so like predictable and manipulative that we, I can make you feel heartfelt even when it's Paul Dano in a wig and a corpse and ridiculous music playing in the background. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't know. There's some meta joke about it that like I I really liked it, but just like me and Earl, occasionally it felt like too cool and quirky for its own good. Like it, I, I don't know. I, I can't even criticize because it worked for me in the moment so well. It just feels like they... Daniel sometimes got in their way a little bit more than they needed to. Yeah. 
and, and and also like there there is this there is another sort of like the thing that we haven't even gotten to is the visual gags of like why there is a swiss army man right <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, like the, the, it's not just a person interacting with a corpse, and that's where the entire uh, strangeness and 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 everything comes about. Like, there are like like the corpse is literally a Swiss Army man because he is a a tool that is helping survival in a way that is like is completely fantasy. Like, you know, you know, it can be used yeah. to, to chop logs. It can be used to do things like that. Where um you know can be can used as a shaving kit like there's mm-hmm. there's a bunch of things like that that sort of let you know that we're in a completely strange and fantasy world and, and that that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I was like you could watch this film just for the visual gags of of different elements and that alone would be entertaining without trying to hear anything the film is saying or try to piece together uh, what parts of the narrative are fantasy and what parts of the narrative are real, right? Like, you're just, like, mm-hmm. the visual gag of how this corpse is used in a survival situation um, was incredibly fun and interesting. And I think that's part of what I love about the film is it works on so many different levels that are, like, <laughs> Christopher Schnazy levels. <laughs> like, it, it's it's my equivalent of a four-quadrant film, right? Mm-hmm. it's got like like the interesting uh ideas it has the interesting feeling it has you know the interesting visual gags like it's just basically everything that i would want in a movie is is wrapped up and it even has little um interesting touches where i mean it's stuff that i don't want to completely get into but there during some of the visual gags there are visual elements that explain where the visual gag could come from. And I, I mean, I, I can follow up off air and explain what I meant by that um, just for you, Stephen. But like, mm-hmm. please th- do. Th- there are definitely things where it's like a thing happens. And because I remember the visual gag from the trailer, I'm pre thinking like, oh, oh, that's really clever. And then when we get to the visual gag scene and everybody's just laughing at the visual gag, like there, there, you might not catch the, the clue to how that visual gag comes about. Yeah. Um, yeah. There. Um, yeah. I think I know. Okay. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. So, so there's, there's just really interesting things where this is, it doesn't feel like a film where people are just trying to do the most ridiculous thing next. It, this feels like a film where people have really thought of the ramifications of the ideas they've come up with. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, for that, I just, it's, it's a film that I love. Uh, I, I said this to you, I've said this to a few other people and, uh, anybody who's asked me what I thought about the film, but this is currently sitting at my favorite film of the year. So spoilers for our end of year recap. <laughs> Unless something comes out that just like obliterates this movie, and then I'd probably die in the theater of emotional overwhelm. Mm-hmm. So the real question is: Do you want to watch it again, or do you want to preserve that reaction you had, which probably can't be topped by a second viewing? Yeah, it, I mean, it's a film that in the future I will definitely revisit again, just because it's one that I will want to, like I, I have revisited the one I love. I like sat other people down to watch this movie. Um, and I will probably watch it in a nostalgic sense. Like I'll, I'll, I will remember the way I felt when I first got this piece of visual or auditory or, um, whatever emotion from it. And I, um, I, I I will watch it and feel fondly for that first experience, but I'm sure, like, I don't know if I watched it again, if I would cry for the whole movie like I did in the theater, right? Mm-hmm. So without, if I don't have that, that reaction, then, then there's inherently a, a loss of emotional attachment the second time around. But at the same time, maybe even in, maybe it's even more of a meta way if I respond differently the second time than I do the first time, but... Yeah, it, basically, I almost thought about seeing it again over the weekend, and then I was like, "No, I gotta let it ride out. I gotta, I gotta get the review out and be totally untarnished by a second viewing." 
Um, mm. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, that was a really long winded way of saying I'm scared to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would I would enjoy watching it again, but so so okay one a problem sort of that I have with the movie is I, I'm going to say there are maybe three fitting endings to the movie, like three places where it could cut and it would be fine. Um, the first ending uh, I would be completely fine with. It makes sense. The second hypothetical ending I also really, really like, even though it colors a lot of the way you interpret the movie. Yeah. If you want to have like a real world interpretation for this, the ending they went with other than as that kind of pie in your face, we're just going to confuse you uh, trick. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I feel like they kind of wanted to have their cake and eat it too. And I, I maybe would have liked either of the other two movies better than the one I got in the end. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, I mean, you and I, uh, you and I pass back and forth this statement when we were talking the other night about the film and without going into too much details, one could make a compelling argument that I probably could not refute that the beginning of this film is the end of the film. Yeah. And yeah. So I think that if one were to take that interpretation, then any interpretations of the ending of the film are irrelevant. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, like I said, if, if, if somebody wanted to, like you wouldn't even have to write a paper on it. If you just make the statement, I would go, I can't argue with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might not, not want to, which is fine, but but yeah, I, I think it's definitely a possible interpretation that the stuff that's happening at the beginning of the film is is really all that is happening in the real world. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I don't really know where else to uh, to go with this. I I definitely like the movie a lot. I'm conflicted about whether I think the a lot of the choices they made help it. Or if I like it in spite of a lot of the decisions they made. Um, I think overall, I everything they did to push me away from it makes it more impressive that they made me like it still. Yeah. So I, I don't know what to say about that. And, 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 <laughs> it, I, and I, honest, like, I, I, I honestly feel that the line they aimed for, they had a 50-50 chance of of successfully doing it like they what where where they went and what they tried to do and the 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 line they tried to tow um between just utter failure of a concept and being what feels like the most brilliant thing anybody's ever tried to do um it, it it's like i i can totally understand how people would have walked out of their screening of this um yeah. i think it's brilliant but i think that like it was brilliant in a way that could have easily failed and i could have been one of the people who wanted to walk out um no casey affleck performance could have possibly saved it <laughs> <laughs> call back to you know a running <laughs> joke for anybody who's confused at why i'm just bringing him up um but but yeah like i have to give them huge credit for trying something and succeeding at something that for all intents and purposes, shouldn't have finished or shouldn't have worked at all. The, the big question is, what can they follow it up with? <laughs> like, what what are they pigeonholed as now? I, I I don't even know. Like Daniel's movie number two. Yeah, like, I I I don't. This is like it, normally. A film that I reacted to this positively, I would be really excited for whatever they do next. This just has me scared that like whatever comes next is just going to be utterly terrible. And um, they're going to try to one-up themselves maybe. And it will result in something that fails the way that this one definitely could have if they, what feels like, didn't get lucky. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it feels like they tried something 
and they deserved to fail for what they were even trying to do. And somehow it just eked out this pure brilliant thing. And I think next time they might not get so lucky. It's going to be uh, the all-girl Ghostbusters reboot of it with uh, <laughs> Emma Watson and Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> Which one of them is going to be farting? Uh, Emma Watson, if we're, if we're being consistent with the actors. Gotcha. The, the queefing corpse of Emma Watson. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and on anyway. that note, uh, should we get to our verdicts for this film? Sure. All right, Stephen, if you're going to give the same must-see, a recommend with a caveat, a wait for rental, a pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? I have to give it a must-see. I mean, this movie definitely lives up to the hype, where the hype is you have never seen a thing like this before. And if that isn't the must-see reason alone, then I don't know what is. Yeah, I mean, like I said already, this is my movie of the year so far, and probably will be by the end of the year. Um, So... Like, you can take a caveat with that, or you can just go see the movie, because, yeah, like you said, whether whether or not you feel the way I felt about it, it's you're not going to watch another movie like this. Yeah, I, I should throw in the implicit caveat that you might really hate it, and I wouldn't blame you for it. Yeah. Well, uh, that's probably going to do it for this episode of the podcast. So, uh, Stephen, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, you can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning or like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com. You can use the contact form on our site. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW at 760-575-4879. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to uh, Swiss Army Man, so hopefully you're enjoying that as much as I did. I am glad, too, I will say that the song from the trailer is actually the song from the film and that it is used because there's nothing I hate more than a trailer-selected song that draws me into the trailer, which doesn't appear anywhere in the movie. Um, <laughs> so the fact that, like, as soon as that song kicked in, I was like, ah, oh, all is right with the world. <laughs> I do want to listen to the soundtrack now. Yes, it, it's, I mean, I, 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 when I was busy not re-watching the movie in the theater, I was listening to the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you for joining me, Stephen. Thanks for having me, buddy. <laughs> thank you Carson for sending in the audio um, I will take your welcome off the air <laughs> and uh, we will talk to everybody later bye bye